It's good to have you with us. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles, if you would, to 2 Peter uh, chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. We are continuing in a, uh, a short four-week series. It's an Easter follow-up series, and that uh, we started looking at uh, the four points I had on Easter, right? And, and one of those, the first point, uh, was that they, there was concern and worry, and there was, there was despair about what had happened to Jesus, and, and why, why is that? And usually we, we found that it was because we're searching for the living among the dead. Jesus was alive, and they went to a grave. So the next thing we saw last week was there was this rebuke that Jesus and the angels rebuked them, saying, why? Why are you searching for the living among the dead. And we talked about our affections, the affections of our heart. What, what, what is the object of our affection? Are we finding the most satisfaction in Christ, or are we looking to other things to fill that satisfaction and to bring us life? And that is not where we will ever find life, and we should be rebuked if we are turning there. And today we move into the instruction portion uh, of, of the sermon series, uh, where, we, where we find instruction to set our feet on solid ground and to focus our hearts back to where they need to be focused. Uh, Jesus instructed his disciples, uh, he, and, and the angels instructed Mary and, and, uh, and the others there at the tomb. And we're going to look at a short passage here uh, in a moment from, from Luke chapter 24 as well, just from the disciples on the road to Emmaus, because I want us to see what the instruction of God can do for our heart. Uh, before we do that, though, we're going to go ahead and pray, and then we'll get into the Word. We'll read our passage in Second Peter, and then we'll start breaking that apart. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for your great love for us. We're so grateful for the sacrifice that Christ has made on the cross for us. And God, it's not something we can repay. So we remember, and we remember in faith, trusting that it was enough for us. We thank you for this day. We thank you for your word, that it is an instruction, a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Lord, open our hearts and minds to be receptive to your word now, to the truth of God's word. God, instruct us from it that we might leave changed, Challenge us however you might need to challenge us. Shape us and conform us into the image of Christ, we pray in his name. Amen. All right, we're in 2 Peter and uh, chapter 1. We'll begin in verse 12 and we'll read through verse 21. Peter says, Therefore, I will always remind you about these things, even though you know them and are established in the truth you now have. I think it is right, as long as I am in this bodily tent, to wake you up with a reminder, since I know that I will soon lay aside my tent, as our Lord Jesus Christ has indeed made clear to me. And I will also make every effort so that you are able to recall these things at any time after my departure. For we did not follow cleverly contrived myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Instead, we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. For He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to Him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice when it came from heaven while we were with Him on the holy mountain. We also have the prophetic word strongly confirmed, and you will do well to pay attention to it as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you know this, no prophecy of Scripture comes from the prophet's own interpretation because no prophecy ever came by the will of man. Instead, men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Uh, such great encouragement from 
from uh, Peter in this epistle from God's Word. And, and I want us to look at that today and break that apart and look at the instruction that God is giving us and how, how looking to God's instruction can change everything. Let me go back and set a scene again. Uh, pre, or Post-Easter, Jesus has risen and, and the, the disciples didn't know that. They're not sure about that. And we see uh, Mary and the others who come to the tomb looking for the body to, to uh, put the spices on and, and prepare for burial. Then we see the disciples on the road to Emmaus, and they're struggling, right? And, and Jesus comes along and, and is wondering, what, what's going on? What are you struggling with? And they were sad because Jesus had died, and they thought he was the, the Messiah, right? Well, during this time, there was a, a conversation that had, uh, had happened. And I want to read verses 27 through 32 uh, with us, actually 27 and then starting at verse 30. Um, Jesus on the road, he says, Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, the Word, right, the Word of God, he interpreted for them the things concerning himself in all the Scriptures. So it's, this is not a book they did not have. These are not prophecies that, they, that were a mystery to them. These were the Word of God that they had used, that they should have known. All the while, Jesus even called and said, why are you so foolish to believe and so slow to believe what's been said about us, what's been said about me? So he explained it all. And then later, they, they had got to Emmaus and they were in a home and it was, it was as he reclined at the table. This is verse 30. This is interesting, right? He's breaking bread with them like we'll do later. It was as he was reclined at the table with them that he took the bread, blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened. And they recognized him, but he disappeared from their sight. Interesting right there, right? They, they remembered that scene maybe from the upper room when Jesus broke the bread and instituted the Lord's Supper, saying, I'm going to suffer and die. I'm going to be poured out as a drink offering. This is, this is my blood. This is my body. Do this in remembrance of me. And so he broke this bread again after he's risen from the dead, and, and they get it. This light bulb goes off like, oh, I remember I remember it's so important for us to remember, and it's so important for us to remember sooner than later. Their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared. Then they said to each other, weren't our hearts burning within us while he was talking with us on the road and explaining the scriptures to us? What an important aspect of this. They're sitting now in Emmaus at a home at a table. Jesus has now disappeared, and they think back. Man, I should have got it. I should have understood it. He explained it all to me. It was all there and instructed so I would know. And their hearts were burning. You ever have that feeling when you go to the Word of God? God's Word just illuminates who Christ is and our need for Christ. And it burns within our hearts. And we should, we should take heed of that message. We should run towards Jesus from the instruction we find in the Word of God. The Scriptures always will point us to Jesus and when our eyes are open to Him, our hearts will find deep, deep satisfaction. So today I want to look, the title of the sermon is Instructions for Life. I don't know if you remember, uh, when, I, when I was a kid in, in Sunday school, we had the Bible, right? And it says Bible, and my Sunday school teacher says the Bible means, the B-I-B-L-E, right? The basic instructions before leaving earth. Like, oh great, we have instructions. We're aliens, we're passing through. So what does this mean for us, right? What, is, what are our instructions here? And that's what this is, instructions for us. So today, we're, the sermon title is Instructions for Life. And we're going to look at three different instructions, I, I think at least three we can find from, from 2 Peter. And there's more, I'm sure, in Scripture. Uh, one, of the, one of the for further study uh, things I would recommend is for you and your family to go read Psalm 119 together. It's an amazing passage of Scripture talking about the Lord, uh, talking about His Word, talking about the instruction from Him. Uh, we'll read a part of that today, but go, go and read that later. So we're going to look at three things uh, that are about instructions for life. 
Here's number one. Number one is this. First instruction, be reminded often. Be reminded often. Over and over, we should be reminded and recall and remember the depth of the gospel, the importance of the gospel. When we lose sight of that, when we set it aside, when we fail to remember, then we, we stray. We stray into other places. Our hearts wander. It seeks affection somewhere else. So in our passage in 2 Peter, beginning in chapter 1, verse 12, let's look at what Peter says, verses 12 through 15, about being reminded often. He says, Therefore, I will always remind you about these things, even though you know them and are established in the truth that you now have. I think it's right, as long as I am in this bodily tent, to wake you up with a reminder, since I know that I, I will soon lay aside my tent, as our Lord Jesus Christ has indeed made it clear to me. I will also make every effort so that you are able to recall these things at any time after my departure. So there's a goal here that, that he says we, we want to be established and stand firm in the truth. That's a goal that you and I should have, established and standing firm in the truth. And when we stand firm, it doesn't matter what comes our way. It doesn't matter what circumstances arise. We can stand firm. It may not be pleasant, right? We're not saying it's going to be perfect and everything's going to be cupcakes and rainbows. What we are saying is that we have a solid rock that we can stand on. And we, we are established in the truth that is a firm and secure foundation. So Peter says three times here, remember, or I want to remind you. Look In the verse 12, he says, I want to always remind you about these things. In 13, he says, I think it's right to wake you up with a reminder about these things. Things that they were already established in, they needed a reminder to recall. And he says, even after I go, he was anticipating his death. Now listen, this is important. Peter, like the, the, one of the head apostles of the church, is about to die. He understands that his time is coming near. This is kind of like the final words that he's saying. He's saying, I know my time is coming, so I really want you to know this. We really should pay attention to this, right? So he says, with, with that, that in mind, he says, I, I'm going to make every effort so that after I depart, you are able to recall these things. And that should be how you and I treat the Word of God, that we should remind each other and, and sing it to one another and text it to one another and email it to one another, whatever it takes to continue to edify one another by the Word of God, that we would see that instruction, that we would delight in that instruction, that we would be established in the truth of that instruction. But it takes being reminded often, remembering and recalling the truths, the deep truths of God all the time. Back to Luke 24, I want to read a little bit out of that where, where this is Easter morning again. And, and this was the angel rebuked the women at the tomb. And, and he said, remember. So they were looking for the living among the dead. And he says, remember how he spoke to you when he was in Galilee, saying, so remember, I want you to remember, to recall. He was saying, it is necessary that the Son of Man be betrayed into the hands of sinful men, that he be crucified and rise on the third day. Remember, this is what he said was going to happen. Remember, recall it, hold firm to this. And it says, and they remembered his words. Their memory came back because they need a reminder. We often need that reminder. I have relationships and friendships that we constantly are trying to remind each other of the deep truths of God, especially places that we struggle, places that we struggle to grab onto and hold onto, that we have a slippery grip. We need to grab, grab tighter and be reminded more often of those things. Then we see 1 Corinthians. We're going to talk about this later. We'll read this passage again. Paul talking about the Lord's Supper. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 to 26. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. 
On the night that he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took the bread, and, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of me. He's not even crucified yet. He's breaking bread and says, listen, it's coming. Do this. Every time you eat, every time you partake, do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And that's so important right there. Jesus had not even been crucified yet. He hadn't even been handed over to be arrested. And he's telling them, I'm giving up my life. And after this point, from this point on, every time you partake in this, do this in remembrance of me. And do it often. And as often as you do it, what does he say? That you are proclaiming my death until I return. Like not only am I dead, I've risen, and I'm going to come back again. This is part of the, the, the teaching that Peter is talking about. Uh, he was talking about the Lord's return. If you look at the first, I think it's the first part of the next, next uh, verse. He's talking about people think that it's myths and uh, wives' tales or fables that the Lord is actually indeed returning. It's, it's, it's like, oh, you're adding something to religion. Well, of course, Jesus took the religious leaders of the day and blew up their idea of what, what was really going on, right? And said, I, I'm here fulfilling all the prophecies. All of it points to me and you still don't believe. I'm the only one that can bring you life. And Peter's saying, yeah, that Jesus brings life right? We need to be constantly reminded of that and constantly proclaim Jesus' death, his suffering, his resurrection, and his return. Because there's hope in that. There's power in that. And we need to be reminded every day that this world is not our home and we're just passing through. If heaven's not our home, Lord, what will we do? Number two, the next instruction we see here for life, instructions for life, do not turn to myths. Do not turn to myths. And, and like I was just saying, that, that there was a force out there saying, well, what you believe, that's just a fable. That's just a fairy tale. This is wrong. Jesus isn't going to return. He's dead. He's gone. He's ascended. Don't, you know, whatever it is, he's not coming back. No, there is power in Jesus, and there is a conquering king in Jesus Christ. Not just a suffering Savior, but there is a conquering king. He's not just a Savior. He's also Lord. And we need to understand that as part of, part of the gospel we embrace. So do not turn aside to myths. So Peter is answering uh, these, these, these objections that are coming up. And he says in verse 16, if you're back in 2 Peter, chapter 1, verse 16. For we do not follow... Now listen, let's stop there for a moment. What, what, there's so much richness to that. He says, and we did not follow. Who's he talking about? Who's the we? People aren't just saying, Peter, you've got this wrong. There's a whole sect of Judaizers and these religious uh, zealots that are coming against Christianity, against the way, those who follow Christ, and are saying, you're wrong. And those who, they're coming against Peter and the, all the apostles, the apostolic authority that we see in Scripture in the New Testament, the testimony of Christ and Christ himself saying, this is what is going on. And, and so they're coming against that. And Peter says, we... Not just me, we, those who are, have led you, those who have been with you, those who have bled with you and maybe died because of Christ, we did not follow. So important to understand that. What did they do? Well, they did not follow. When they, when they came to follow Christ, they're saying they did not follow cleverly contrived myths. They were not following myths or rumors when they made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
So important. The, the gospel they preached, the clarity of the gospel they preached was rich and it was pure and it was from the Word of God. It was always by grace, through faith, and in Christ alone. They proclaimed His death, His resurrection, and they proclaimed His return. And people said, that's fake. That's a myth. And they said, no, it, it's not. We are not following myths. Instead, we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. Now, that's the benefit that they have. They were with Jesus. They saw, and look what they said. We were eyewitnesses of His majesty. In verse 17, For He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came from Him uh, from, the, from majestic glory. Remember, this is at Jesus' baptism. Remember, God the Father speaks through, and, and the Holy Spirit descends on Him like a dove. And what does the Father say? This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. They're, this, they're eyewitnesses to this. They're watching this occur. This is not a fancy fairy tale. This is eyewitness testimony. He goes on in verse 18. We ourselves heard this voice when it came from heaven while we were with, with him on the holy mountain. When Jesus took the three up to the Mount of Transfiguration and, and, and appeared in all his glory as the, as the divine God that he is and, and, hear, and heard the voice of God. They're saying this is eyewitness testimony. This is not fairy tales. This is actually what occurred. You can rely on it. So he's saying, don't follow clever myths. We didn't follow clever myths. You and I shouldn't follow clever myths. One of the things that we talked about in previous weeks was the fact that the affections of our heart are, are being fought over all the time. And it's being drawn one place and drawn to another. And God is saying, I want all your affection. I want the affections of your heart to be satisfied in me and in me alone. But we get tired and we get kind of cranky and we get lonely and we, we fail to remember and our heart is drawn towards worthless idols. Worthless idols. And, and we saw last week, if we're not seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, there's nothing else. But if we seek Him first, those, those things that might have been worthless may be added unto us as well. We need to seek Him first. Not clever myths. Not some old wives' tale. We, we need to make sure we're following Christ and from the Scripture. Paul wrote this in Corinthians. I want us to see how the apostles approached this. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1-5, through 5, He says, When I came to you, brothers and sisters, announcing the mystery of God to you. So again, he's coming to say, this is Jesus. You need to believe and have faith in Christ alone. And, and he, he died and was buried and he rose and he is going to come back again. It's the gospel. It's the message of gospel. And that you're a sinner and you need Jesus. So turn to him in faith. He said, when I came to reveal that to you, I did not come with brilliance of speech or wisdom. He goes on, he says, I decided to know nothing among you except Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness, in fear, in much trembling. My speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of wisdom, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. Why? Well, see, all these other people who, who think that this is a myth, they actually are holding on to myths. And they're cleverly bringing up these myths and, and defining them and logically reasoning them out so that people would believe and at least be persuaded or manipulated. Paul says, I didn't want to do that. I wanted to come to you with the Word of God, showing you Jesus Christ in the, in the simplest, most, most persuasive form by the power of the Holy Spirit. So that, verse 5, so that your faith might not be based on human wisdom, but on God's power. And that's an amazing, amazing thing to say. 
Paul said, I'm, I'm coming to show you the gospel. Here it is. Here's the instruction of God's word. Here's how it points everything to Jesus. And I want to show that to you so that your faith might not be based on human wisdom, but on God's power. Human wisdom, listen, human wisdom won't get you very far. We can reason our way and weasel our way out of any truth we want. We can take a verse and say, this is my life verse and I'm going to live by it. And it's taken out of context. What happens when you and I uh, depend on our human wisdom? Well, Psalm chapter 2 shows this. And if you turn there with me, I want to I want to read through Psalm chapter 2. And I know we, we started the Psalms a couple years ago during the summer, and you can go back and listen to the sermon on Psalm 2 if you'd like. But I, I want to read it and, and see what happens in the heart of people that, that rely on their own wisdom and their own power. The psalmist writes in chapter 2, starting in verse 1, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers conspire together against the Lord and His anointed one. See what's going on here. There is a full-on rejection of the Messiah. There's a full-on rejection of Jesus Christ as Lord. So no, 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 that can't be true. That's too simple. That's too easy. All the Scriptures point to Him. Yeah, there must be a secret code in there that we need to decipher and figure it out ourselves. We'll try that instead. And what they do is then they reject the Messiah... And they rage against him. They plot in vain against him, against the simple truth of the gospel. They conspire together against the Lord and his anointed one. But look at verse, go to verse 4. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. This is God. God's made it simple and clear to us. And he's sitting there, why are you raging? He, he laughs at this. The Lord ridicules them. Then he speaks to them in his anger and terrifies him, them in his wrath. I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will declare the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I become your father. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance and the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with an iron scepter. You will shatter them like pottery. So here it is. Uh, Human wisdom gets us to a place of raging against the Lord and his anointed. We we don't want anything to do with Jesus. We'll we'll set that aside. We might pretend we like Jesus, but it's not the Jesus of the Bible. It's not who, who, who has been revealed to us through Scripture. It's some other Jesus. Maybe it's New Age Jesus. Maybe it's hippie Jesus. Maybe it's just uh, just judge or cop Jesus. Whatever it is. It's, it, but it's not the fullness of who Christ has been presented as through Scripture. So we rage against Him. But God. I love the verse, verses 4-9 through nine I've written. But God. God is still faithful to say, listen, that's wrong. Rejecting the Messiah is wrong. I am still God and, and, and everyone will be subject to my Messiah. And then look at verse number 10. Here's instruction. So important. Even for those who rage against the Messiah, they have an opportunity to receive instruction. Look at verse 10. So now, kings, be wise. This is a a rebuke. And, And not just for kings or rulers or leaders. It's for you and I who put ourselves on the throne of our own life as king or queen or whatever it might be. We need to dethrone ourselves. So now, kings, be wise. Receive instruction, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with reverential awe and rejoice with trembling. Pay homage to the Son or He will be angry and you will perish in your rebellion for His anger may ignite at any moment. Such a warning there. Receive instruction. It's like 
parents. It's so, so great of God to do this. Uh, parenting, right? We, we can tell our kids that they want to rebel against us. They want to go their own way and do their own thing. Then we say, listen, you're not God here. or You're not dad or mom, right? Uh, don't try to be the dad or mom. Let me be the dad, right? Or let, let your mom be the mom. And, and then we give that warning. Be wise now. Take time. Think about what you're going to say and do next. Receive instruction because you will answer to me. And Jesus is He's the king of kings. He's the the father of the fathers. He's the one that we will all answer to. And the last part of this verse is is just the the nugget. After all that, all who take refuge in him are happy. All who take refuge in him are happy. You know, we started that rage against him because we thought we were unhappy, that we were unsatisfied, that it was human wisdom we would use to accomplish whatever we wanted to accomplish. And at the very end of the day, it was always, always about him and about him being our satisfaction, about him being our sufficiency, and about all of us taking refuge in him and being happy. So don't turn to clever myths, but, but repent, receive instruction, and believe, believe and live. When we take refuge and when we hold on and, and when we recall and when we remember the truth, then we're firm and secure on firm footing. I want to read a part out of Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, we've studied this at quite at length as well, but verse 14 of chapter 4 says this, when we have that, taken that refuge, when we have been taught and encouraged and received instruction, then it says we will no longer be little children tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness and techniques of deceit. It's so easy. And Satan wants to get to us. Satan wants to get in there and say, listen, I'm going to give you a lie. It's going to look awesome. It's going to make sense. You need to follow that. He wants to distract us. He wants to pull us away from our, from our eyes being fixed on Jesus, from our faith being firm and secure in Him. If we would just receive the instruction from God's Word, it's clear, it's simple, it's not manipulative. It says believe and live. And that all who take refuge in Him are happy. So what might our prayer be now to God? What should our response be to God? If you would turn with me to Psalm 119, I told you we'd read part of this. As we looked at this point of I don't want to turn to myths, what should my prayer be? Psalm 119, verses 33 through 40. I hope that after I read this, you'll be like, whoa, we should have slowed down. We should have really prayed that. And I hope you'll do that. Maybe you just need to pause the video after I read this and stop and read it yourself again and pray it yourself. Or after this is done, get in a quiet place and go and read all of Psalm 119. But here's what the psalmist says. Teach me, Lord, the meaning of your statutes and I will always keep them. Help me understand your instruction and I will obey it and follow it with all of my heart. Help me stay on the path of your commands, for I take pleasure in it. Turn my heart to your decrees, and not to dishonest profit. Turn my eyes from looking at what is worthless. Give me life in your ways. Confirm what you said to your servant, for it produces reverence for you. Turn away the disgrace that I dread. Indeed, your judgments are good. How I long for your precepts. Give me life through your righteousness. Such a powerful, powerful word that we have there, a prayer 
for you and I to, to look to God's word, for him to let, God, let his word sink into our hearts down deep, that it would, not, it would help us not stray to things that are worthless, and that we would long for his precepts and have life through his righteousness. Listen, hope and righteousness are in Christ alone, through faith in Christ alone. Number three, our final point, our final instruction for life. Number three is this, trust the perfect word of God. Trust the perfect word of God. Going back to our passage in 2 Peter chapter 1, looking at verses 19 through 21. Peter goes on as, as more testimony. Not only have I been eyewitnesses to this, he says, we also have the prophetic word strongly confirmed. Now listen, this is the same stuff that Jesus was bringing up on the road to Emmaus. The same stuff he instructed the disciples about and showed them from scriptures how it talked all about him. I would have loved to have been a fly on the shoulder of one of those guys walking on the road to Emmaus from Jerusalem to Emmaus and, and listen to the Lord Jesus teach and show every passage in the scriptures that pointed to him. It's loaded with it. And you and I now can do that. We can go in and find that study and go in and have that conversation with the, with the Lord and through his word. It's so important for us to trust the perfect word of God. We also have the prophetic word strongly confirmed. It's come true. It's all proven itself real. It says, and you will do well to pay attention to it as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Verse 20, above all, you know this. No prophecy of Scripture comes from the prophet's own interpretation because no prophecy has ever come by the will of man. Instead, men spoke them uh, spoke, men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So important to understand. Uh, here's, the, here's the criteria to be a prophet. You have to bat a thousand. I know it's a baseball term and we're not watching any baseball right now and I'm really sad about that. But prophets, they, they bat a thousand. They were inspired by the Holy Spirit, shared what the Spirit told them, and whatever they said came true all the time. They were never wrong. And if they were, if they claimed to be a prophet and they prophesied something that was false or didn't come true or was proven inaccurate, they were executed. So be careful. Uh, you may not want to be a prophet and say, oh, I, I can do this job because it's, it's got about a thousand. Every single time that, that you speak has to be accurate in the word of God. So these guys, they, they spoke by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why it wasn't from human wisdom or human cunning or their own ability to reason and understand. It was from thus saith the Lord, by the power of the Spirit. And we have that prophecy. And we have prophecies. You, you go back to Genesis and you see prophecy beginning all the way up through uh, the, the Old Testament. And, and these prophecies are either hundreds or thousands of years old. There's hundreds of prophecies all talking about the coming of Christ. There are prophecies still that haven't been, haven't, haven't been fulfilled yet about his second coming and about what's to come in the end times. But every, when Jesus was born, I think it was over 350 prophecies were fulfilled just at his birth, and they were all fulfilled in Christ. Now that's impossible for, for one person in all of time and all of history to, statist to statistically fulfill that many prophecies without divine help. That's why it's from the Word of God. That's why we can trust it. It's from the power of His Holy Spirit. The truth will always also be confirmed 
by the Scripture. No prophet came out with something out of their mouth that was going against what had already been said in Scripture, that went against the covenant nature of God and who He is. So test things. In our pursuit to not fall to myths, test them against Scripture and hold on to what is true from the Word of God. Jesus later on, we talked about in Luke 24, this story is going on. He's talking to the disciples now in, in the room, and he told them, he says this in Luke 24, 44 to 45. These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophet and the Psalms, must be fulfilled. Jesus again saying, it's all right here. I am standing living proof of the complete fulfillment of everything that has already been said. In verse 45, he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. The question is this. If we're having trouble with the fulfillment of prophecy in Christ because it doesn't quite tickle our ears or doesn't feel an emotional need for us, the problem is not in Scripture. The problem is with us. And we shouldn't be holding on and reacting by emotions. Jesus said this in Luke chapter 16, talking about these signs and wonders versus having the scriptures, the Moses, Moses and the prophets. He said to them, uh, if, you don't, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, this is speaking about people. The question was this, raise me from the dead, send me back. And if someone rises, they're certainly going to believe in you then. And this is what Jesus' response was, because that's a wondrous sign, right? That's amazing. It's a miracle. But here's what he said about this. If they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded if someone rises from the dead. Do you hear that? If we aren't being persuaded from the Scriptures, we won't believe anything anyway. Just because there's an emotional high. Some people have been doing church all their life from their emotions, wanting some sign or wonder or some experience, some emotional experience, and they've never truly held on to Jesus. All they've held on to is an emotional high. If that's you, you need to repent of that. You need to turn to the Scriptures and see that everything points to Jesus. Everything points to you and I being sinful and separated from God by our sin. Everything points to Him coming and saying, I will take your place. I'm the only one that's sufficient to do it. And that He did it, and He finished it on the cross, and then He didn't stay dead. He rose victoriously. So not only would we be paid for, but we would also live forever with Him by faith in Him. That's the gospel. That's the message of the gospel. That's the hope. No matter what happens, that's where we need to be firmly planted and secure. Yes, that truth will then inform our emotions and we will overflow with praise and worship and and we'll see miracles or we won't, but we will all go back to the place we stand on Scripture and not on some emotional roller coaster. If you are depending on that, you will not be persuaded time and time again that you see a miracle happen. Go to the Scriptures. Let the Scriptures, the Word of God, inform you and direct your heart and find satisfaction there. Where that takes us as we turn away from God's truth and instruction, we start to believe in those myths, and that's not where we want to go. And darkness creeps in, and uncertainty creeps in. And I I want you to turn with me to Isaiah chapter 8. This is one of the last passages we're going to read today. Isaiah chapter 8. And we're going to go into chapter 9 as well. We did a series, a sermon series on this during Christmas, I don't know, two or three years ago, uh, called He Shall Be Named. But it's really important to understand that even, even at the end of the Old Testament, people's hearts were darkened. They, were, they didn't know what to believe. They didn't know what to hold on to. They, they had kind of had a slippery grip on the, on the prophets and on the prophecies. So they, they let go and they believed some other things. 
and darkness ensued. So I want to read starting in verse 18 of chapter 8 of Isaiah. Here I am with the children the Lord has given me to be signs and wonders in Israel from the Lord of army who dwells on Mount Zion. Listen, I'm here. I want to show you God. I want to show you him in all of his glory and might. When they say to you, inquire of the mediums and the spiritists who chirp and mutter. That's, that's the quote. We need to find out what's going on. Go, go find it over there. Let's get a tarot card reading. Let's go to our Ouija board. Let's go find some, some kind of truth somewhere. The rebuke was, shouldn't a people inquire of their God? Shouldn't we actually search for the truth of God from God himself? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? Go to God's instruction and testimony. That's that's the encouragement. That's the rebuke. Go to God's instruction and testimony. If they do not speak according to this word, there will be no dawn for them. So those who want to turn aside, they want to prophesy something else, they want to manipulate with their words, there will be no dawn for them if they do not go to God's instruction and testimony. Verse 21, they will wander Notice these words, wandering. They will wander through the land, dejected and hungry. When they are famished, they will become enraged and look upward. They will curse their king and their God. They will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and the gloom of affliction. And they will be driven into thick darkness. Because they wandered, right? Because they wandered and They didn't want to go to God's instruction. So what happens in chapter 9, verse 1? Nevertheless, I love that, but God, here comes God. God's up to something. Even for you and I who may have wandered into darkness, He's still up to something. What is this scripture going to point us to? Nevertheless, the gloom of the distressed land will not be like that of the former times when He humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future... He will bring honor to the way of the sea, to the land east of the Jordan, and to Galilee of the nations. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. Jump down to verse 6. For a child will be born for us. A son will be given to us. And the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. It's so important. Listen, it's so important for the world to go back to the Word of God so that they would see that it all points to Christ. They would see that it all points to our need for Christ and that He that, that, that He would be able to show us what He has done and what He has accomplished for us through His death and through His resurrection. It all points to Him. It all points to what He has done for us. And we have to trust the perfect Word of God. And we have to trust Him through faith. I, I want to go back to a passage in, in 1 Corinthians, if you want to turn there, in 15. And, and I want you to think about this. Not only is Isaiah here pointing like there's darkness and people have gone their own way they aren't getting it and but but listen Jesus is coming there's gonna be a baby born one day Isaiah goes on to prophesy in in 53 about that suffering servant Jesus how he would suffer for us why he would suffer and it displays the fact that he died in our place 
Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, I passed on to you as most important what I received. I love this. It's like a one-liner. That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried and He was raised on the third day according to Scriptures. Amen. Can I get an amen out there in TV land? That's the crux of this. That's what's most important is that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried and He was raised on the third day according to Scriptures to conquer sin, to conquer death, to conquer Satan, that you and I, through faith in Christ, would have life everlasting. So today, we're going to partake in the Lord's Supper because there's nothing we can do to pay Him back. We are going to remember. We're going to partake in the elements of the Lord's Supper. We have the bread, which represents His body that was given for us. He he sacrificed Himself in our place. I deserved to be beaten. I deserved to be bruised. I deserved to be killed and put to death. But Jesus offered Himself, His body, in my place. And he He spilled His blood. He shed His blood on that cross. And without the shedding of blood, Scripture says there can be no forgiveness of sins. It was a blood sacrifice that was required. So He shed His blood. The perfect Lamb of God shed His blood so that you and I could be cleansed by that blood. And so we will remember. And as we come to the table, we're coming to be reminded about what Christ has done. We're coming running away from any myths. We're running away from any other affections of our heart. We're turning and repenting from those things and coming to the Lord's table where we know we will find satisfaction in Christ alone. And we are trusting that the perfect Word of God always prevails and always points us to Jesus, the perfect Lamb sacrifice who died on our behalf. So go ahead at this time, go ahead and get your elements gathered. And I've got this here, and we're going to read Scripture together and partake, and I'll, I'll give you some instruction about this as well while you get that together. Listen, as we come to the Lord's table, we, we come, come to it humbly, in the most humble of ways, that we, we are trusting that everything Christ has done for us is all that we need. And, and there's nothing uh, in myself that comes and says, well, I've done a lot, Jesus, and, and so have you, so this is going to be great. No, we come absolutely empty, absolutely ruined, absolutely wrecked, knowing that it is only through Christ and His sacrifice that we can have life with Him forever. And it's through our faith in Christ. Now listen, here's the instruction. If you're coming in pride, don't come. Get rid of your pride. Get rid of your ego. Get a different time to partake. If you have pride in your own life and the way you've, you've set up your own household or whatever you're doing, get rid of it. If, if you have not put your faith and trust in Christ, if you're still pursuing those, maybe those myths or those other human wisdom and you're trying, I'll kind of figure this out. If you haven't put faith in Christ, this doesn't mean anything to you. It's bread and juice or bread and wine or whatever you have at your home. It's just stuff. But for those who have put their trust in Christ, as Christ said before he was even betrayed, before he was even crucified, this is my body, this is my blood that I'm giving to you. Do this often, and as often you do, do it in remembrance of me, because when you do, you proclaim my death until I come. This is all about the hope that we have, the eternal hope that we have in Jesus Christ. For some of you who are out there now, and you have, maybe have small young kids who haven't professed faith in Christ, this is a great opportunity for them to watch to observe, to see why their parents are partaking and what it means to them and talk about the meaning to them as well. This is a perfect opportunity for that. But for all of us who have trusted Christ in faith, this is deeply meaningful. And we come today humbly, 
We come today wanting, desiring to remember what Jesus did, not to pay him back, because we can never do that, but to remember. So go ahead, and uh, if you would take the elements, and, uh, and you'll grab your bread first. We'll take the bread first, and we'll read a passage out of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I read this earlier during the sermon. Um, we'll get the bread first, and then we'll, we'll partake of the cup as well. Uh, I, I said uh, earlier, I said in my video, and I said last time we did this, uh, don't take a big piece, right, and try to chew that down before we get to the juice. Just take a small piece, just a morsel that you need to, to remember, to, to chew on, to be satisfied in Christ. Uh, we'll take that, and, and the way we've done it in our church, we, we let everyone have the elements, and then we'll, uh, we'll pray over it, we'll read Scripture, we'll pray over it, and then we will all partake together at the same time. Then we'll move on to the cup as well and do it in the same, in the same fashion. So, uh, Scripture says this in chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians, uh, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body. Do this in remembrance of me. Father, we, we pause to acknowledge the sacrifice that you have made. We pause to acknowledge that you gave your body, your life up in our place. And we are so thankful for that. We're so thankful to have a Savior who cared enough to allow himself to be killed in our place. And God, you went willingly because you loved us. We praise you and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, then we take the cup. <clears throat> Paul continues to write, verse 25. He says, In the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father, we are grateful for the shed blood that you shed on the cross for our sins. Without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sin. And Lord, we desperately need your forgiveness. So Father, in faith, we have trusted that you have forgiven us by your sacrifice, by the sufficiency of what you have accomplished on the cross. And we are thankful for that. And God, as we partake today of this, of this symbol of your, of your blood, God, that we would remember the great sacrifice that you made on our behalf. And God, that as we do this, that we would be proclaiming your death until you return. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.